in the very beginning when we're unloading them, we don't want to completely unload them from all of their training load. So, you know, what can the athlete do? So the rower that you've just said, look, you can't bike and you can't row, what can they do? Can they swim? Are they a decent enough swimmer to be able to do that? Can they do an elliptical trainer? Can they walk up a nice big mountain? What can they do to actually keep some training load up without irritating their back? Today we're talking about athletic low back pain and who better to have on than Kelly Wilkie who's an APA sports and exercise physiotherapist who's also the Australian Olympic rowing physio. In today's episode, Kelly really challenged some norms around how we treat and assess low back pain. Particularly loved her thoughts on do we jump to exercise or manual therapy straight away and how do we make that decision and her thoughts around the complex systems theory and how to offload a patient. There were a lot of pearls in this episode and this is a lead-in to our practicals. Now you can go to the show notes and get a free seven-day trial of our physio network practicals where you actually get to see kelly go through an assessment with a live patient whiteboard out her clinical reasoning and thoughts it's well worth a look a lot of great value in that my name is michael risk and this is physio explained welcome kelly and thank you for joining us pleasure it's nice to be chatting about athletic low back pain Yeah, you've done a practical, one of the first Physio Network practicals where we filmed you with a live patient so we could get your expertise and explanation. And the episode was athletic low back pain. Now, off air, we were just saying, how would you categorize that? Who do we put in the athletic back pain bucket? Do you want to start there? Yeah, sure. Essentially, my area of expertise is treating athletes with low back pain. And that's because that's what I see in a clinic on a daily basis. And that's what I've seen traveling with the Australian rowing team for a long period of time. But really, the practical with regards to both the assessment practical and the management practical on athletic low back pain could apply to any young, healthy adult. So what we're doing in these practicals is talking about getting people back to life, whether that be sport or whether that be work or whether that be people that are just wanting to become fit and run around the oval with their kids. But you know, what we don't delve into is age-related low back pain, such as spinal canal stenosis, osteoarthritis management. So it's very for the fit, young, healthy or athletic individual. Would you say like ruling out serious pathology or structural pathology? Yeah, that's definitely part of it as well. So in the practical where we're looking at assessment, we're making sure that we do understand that athletes and young people do have red flags that we need to address and we need to make sure our subjective examination in particular is good enough to make sure that we're identifying whether a young, healthy adult has red flags in terms of any inflammatory component to their pain, ruling out whether they might have something like a tumour, whether they have got something that's an atypical presentation that we need to get a doctor involved with and maybe investigate a bit sooner than what we would with most presentations of low back pain as well. That's a good reminder, isn't it? Because often we can gloss over that in a younger and athletic population. Absolutely. And Kelly, you've already challenged me off air because you mentioned with this acute back pain, athletic back pain, that we could potentially go straight to exercise to help with some of the things we see rather than manual therapy being our first port of call, which can be a habit. Could you expand and explain on that? Yeah, my practice has certainly changed over time when I see athletes or young people with acute low back pain. And so what I'm wanting to do in that objective assessment when I first see them is to try and really figure out what their pattern of protection for their low back pain is. What we know about low back pain is that we can't really agree on the right exercises for athletes or young people to do. 
My theory behind that and my clinical experience behind that is that when someone's standing in front of you with low back pain, they have some muscles that are upregulated or maybe providing some splinting to stop areas of their back moving, and they have some muscles that are inhibited in the presence of pain. But we don't all present in the same way. So, for instance, in Australia for a long time, we've had a focus on transverse abdominis, and it's that important in our management of low back pain. And in some people, I would say that transverse abdominis does get inhibited. You see these bulgy bellies sort of around underneath the belly button area, and it's very inhibited. Some people have an upregulation of erectus spiny or even soul. Some people have an upregulation of glutes. Some people have an inhibition of glutes. And so it's trying to figure out what that patient presents with and trying to normalize the tone around the spine. So what I will do is rather than put my fingers on straight away and try and change that, I'll go, okay, I think someone's got some erector spinal upregulation. I might get them into a position on all fours where they're across gravity and doing, say, a camel yoga type exercise where it's a contract relax of their erector spiny so that we're trying to actually get rid of the holding tone, do an on-off, get some lovely blood flow through the area, get the spine moving across gravity without load so the brain knows that it can move through flexion and extension without threat. That probably turns off a little bit of psoas upregulation as well, and then I'll get them back on their feet and reassess them. And so the alternate to that could be that you, you see this upregulation of erector spiny tone, you go in and you release it off with your hands, Sometimes you stand them back up and it's exactly the same. Sometimes you stand them back up and and it's better. But if you can do it via exercise, you've already empowered that athlete and given that athlete something that they can do immediately to self-manage their back so they're not reliant on you as a therapist. And that dependency as a therapist really just does continue to produce fear, if you like, in if I haven't got this person to help me out, I might not get better. So I think it reduces yellow flags. It makes my job easier. I'm not having to do as much manual therapy. doesn't mean that I don't do manual therapy as an adjunct to treatment as I move into the subacute phase and trying to help release some tension off. But certainly in that initial phase, I'm trying to pick an exercise that I can give that athlete to control their pain and to convince them that it's okay to move their back to reduce their fear and to establish what they can do rather than just what they can't do. I really like that. That's a really nice thought process. And I think about sometimes when you go straight in with manual therapy, everything kind of relaxes and, and they can feel a lot worse. I don't have any evidence for this, but I see that when I do exercise, I find they often don't get that huge release where they feel a lot worse. Have you had any experiences like that? Yeah, absolutely. The worst situation that I've ever had was at the London Olympic trials for rowing when I had a lightweight rower present with an acute episode of low back pain. Yeah. And so there's some urgency to get it under control. And so my brain just went to, I need to do everything that I can to turn this muscle tension off for this athlete. And so used every trick in my toolbox to try and settle him down as much as I could so he could get to the start line for the London Olympic trials to make the lightweight men's four. And actually, when I treated him and released everything off, he couldn't get off the bed. Yes. That splinting was there for a reason. That splinting was there because he had an acute episode of low back pain and he wasn't going to be able to row the next day regardless, which was a really good lesson for me that sometimes we're trying to do all of this work to try and really help someone out. But actually often that tension is there for a reason. And so myself or the rower, I'm not sure who was responsible for delaying Olympic trials for four days for that boat class in light weight athletes that are coming down to weight and being relatively angry. So it was a very good lesson learned. You can end up chasing as well, can't you? You just do more and more and more. Most definitely. So the great thing about exercise, I think, is it's self-limiting. You know, the muscles aren't going to completely turn off altogether. Sometimes with manual therapy, we could actually release things off too much and the patient's not ready for that release around the area that he's sore. And often you'll stand them up and they will be a lot worse. And we don't want our patients walking out 
the door feeling worse because I think that we don't know what we're doing when that happens. And I guess just staying on that, in your decision-making framework, when might you go to manual therapy? So the first thing I'm having a look at is making sure when an athlete presents with acute low back pain that they've got enough movement above and below the low back to be able to start to be able to do cross-training or to do their sport. So before even trying to use manual therapy on the low back itself, I'm looking at, say, a rower and looking at the hip flexion and going, okay, in the presence of pain with some glute upregulation, you've only got 100 degrees of hip flexion, but I need you to have 130 degrees of hip flexion to get into the boat. So I might turn around and use things like soft tissue work to release off glutes or needling to release off glutes or even some mobilizations around the upper lumbar spine that will help release off psoas, which can actually decompress the back and decompress the hip a little bit as well. I try to give them free, easy movement around the hips so they don't have to move from the back. So lumbar spine really wasn't designed that much for movement. It's designed for load transfer more than anything. Doesn't mean that it doesn't move, but certainly our hips, we want them to be flexing and extending below the lumbar spine. It's free, easy movement. And we want in sports that require some rotation, such as throwing, bowling and cricket, those sorts of things. We want lovely, free, easy thoracic rotation above the level of the lumbar spine. So the lumbar spine's not having to rotate as well. So I'll use my manual therapy techniques to go in and treat the kinetic chain above and below. And then as I'm allowing the low back pain to settle, a lot of the time I don't even have to treat the low back at all. So I don't have to touch the low back at all. I will assess it, but I don't necessarily need to mobilize it, dry needle it, release muscles off. I might as an adjunct therapy get rid of a little bit of erect spinal muscle tension that's hanging on, but often I'm treating above and below and letting the back settle by the tissue unload and then reload process. easier way to improve your assessment and treatment skills? Introducing Practicals, where you can watch video recordings showing exactly how top experts assess and treat a range of conditions. It's the fastest way to develop your practical skills and enhance your clinical reasoning. Treat your patients like the experts do with Practicals by Physio Network. Click the link in the show notes to try it for free today. that's some real clinical wisdom for younger therapists where we do have a habit of just where's the sore area manual therapy i really like this empowerment to train the area and look above and below with your manual therapy that's a nice tip Deli, talk to me about how you're considering tissue and training load with this population yeah, so right from the very start when i'm working on what my hypothesis is as to why this person has low back pain is it disc-related low back pain where they're flexion irritated? Is it a more posterior column-related low back pain where they've got more facet joint or maybe bone-related pathology? What's the tissue that I need to unload? Because early control of pain via getting rid of the aggravating factors therefore gets rid of the muscle tension or inhibition that's associated with pain. So I'm trying to unload the tissue that I think is injured in the first place. So for instance, with a rower that's sitting and getting pain, I get them to try and not sit at all. So they might even stand to eat their dinner to begin with. So really aggressively unloading them, we're going to try and reduce your aggravating factors as much as we can in this very early stage so we can turn you around really, really quickly. 
then build their sitting tolerance. So they might then go and do some sitting during the day. Then they might actually sit on a bike and do some cross training. So I'm building the tissue layered up through the disc related structures. And then I might get them to start on an ergometer where they're actually sitting and then loading. And then I might get them out of the water where they're sitting and loading for longer. So it's this unload the tissue, gradually load the tissue back up as it's settling and as it can tolerate load without a lot of pain. Your extension-based loading would be making sure that you're maybe not standing as much, that you're actually sitting a little bit more, that you're not striding out or running and loading that posterior column. You might actually get someone to, onto a bike a bit quicker or get someone to onto something like an elliptical trainer a little bit quicker and be able to unload the bony structures and then load them back up gradually. So then progress some water walking and running and putting some load through that posterior column and then into some extension rotation activities as well. So it's really aggressive unload of the tissues, reload the tissues back up towards a requirement of the sport. But at the same time, as we're looking at tissue load, we're looking at training load. In the very beginning when we're unloading them, we don't want to completely unload them from all of their training load. So, you know, what can the athlete do? So the rower that you've just said, look, you can't bike and you can't row, what can they do? Can they swim? Are they a decent enough swimmer to be able to do that? Can they do an elliptical trader? Can they walk up a nice big mountain? What can they do to actually get some training load up without irritating their back? So what you're trying to figure out is what are the things that the athlete can do? You want to get them doing that really, really early so that you haven't unloaded them from a training load perspective. And while you're unloading the tissues, then as they can do more for their sport, you want that cross-training load to decrease. So as they're doing more sports-related load, because you don't want those two things to add together and have an overload, which can give another injury as well. So it's mapping that out right from the outset and getting an idea of how long it's going to take for that tissue to recover how long you want to unload the tissue, reload the tissue for, and then how long you do cross-training for, and then reduce that over time as a sports-specific load starts to increase. So in the management practical, I do a whiteboard session where I really explain exactly how I do that with two different athletes. So how I do it with a rower recovering from a disc-related episode over a short time period, over maybe a two or three-week period, and I do it for a thrower where they might have a bony-related injury and it might be a much longer period and how to map that out and have a shared decision-making process with the athlete, plus or minus the coach or plus or minus the parent involved as well. So it's mapped out, you know where you're going, um, you're holding yourselves to account. We try to get that person back to what they want to do as quickly as possible. I love that complex systems thinking and I was actually going to ask you, how do you do that? And using a whiteboard's a great idea. I feel like there might be a misunderstanding of the kind of poke the bear analogy or calm things down, build it back up. What I've seen on ground, I'm interested if you've seen this, is I think we may be loading things a little soon and people irritated for longer. And I was interested in what you were saying there. It was almost like an aggressive unloading to allow a bit of acceleration and getting them back quicker. That's obviously a balance for every patient, but that's kind of what it sounded like as you were explaining that. What are your thoughts on that? Yeah, I think as physios, we don't like to stop people. And so we end up wanting to give people what they want to hear and get them back sooner. And all we do is prolong that irritation. If someone's doing their sport with pain, they're doing their sport with a certain amount of splinting that goes with it or a certain amount of muscle inhibition that goes with it. So they're not doing it well anyway. So they need to be doing their sport when they are pain-free. And so that early aggressive unload means that we can then turn them back around and get them back to doing what they were doing as quickly as we possibly can with ease and with good technique rather than just sustaining that pain over time. And I see that 
very often someone has a disc-related problem, they go back into the boat or go back into what they're doing too quickly and it goes on and on and on for weeks on end. And often athletes that I get referred to for a second opinion and they've just never been stopped. So actually stopping them to begin with and convincing them they will lose less training time by doing that yeah. is what you need to do. Kelly, full of wonderful insights. Our 15 minutes is up. Thank you so much. I know you're going to a patient and this practical sounds like it's going to be full of learning. So thank you for your time. Yeah, thanks, Mick. Appreciate it.